0: lecture four part three of the endowments of man by william bernard Ullathorne. this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture four creation and providence part three to faith god has revealed the creation of the world and the progressive order of its formation by faith says saint paul we understand that the world was framed by the word of god that from invisible things things visible might be made to faith god has made known the great outlines of his providence from the creation to the end of the world when all things are brought to their final end and then will the course of providence be completed in the final judgment then and not till then will the whole order of that divine providence be revealed to the glory of the supreme provider of all things in rapid sentences saint paul reminds the hebrews how god conducted the children of faith under the special care of his providence during the whole length of time from noah to christ giving them good for their encouragement both human and divine, and sending them afflictions and trials for the good of discipline. He then concludes, and all these, being approved by the testimony of faith, received not the promise, God providing some better thing for us, that they should not be perfected without us. They could only be perfected in the vision of God, from which they were withheld until their redemption and ours was accomplished, and they with us could be united with the new and divine head of the human race. Where St. Paul ends, the vision of St. John begins. In that wonderful book of Revelations, the vision of the providence of God is opened in its great features to our faith, from the beginning of the church of christ to the end of the world there we see how god overrules the empires and nations of the world with all their power and passion to his own divine purposes there we see how all things work together for the final good of god's faithful ones THERE WE SEE HOW THE DISORDERS THAT SPRING UP IN THE WORLD FROM THE PERVERSE WILLS OF MEN ARE DIRECTED IN THEIR RESULTS BY GOD TO A FINAL ORDER. THERE WE SEE HOW THE ETERNAL WISDOM SUPERINTENDS THE CONFLICTS BETWEEN TRUTH AND ERROR, BETWEEN THE CHURCH RESTING ON GOD FOR STRENGTH AND THE WORLD RESTING ON ITS OWN AMBITIONS and how he guides those conflicts to their final issues in that divine vision as in the history of the former people of god we see the spiritual world ever actively concerned in the affairs of the human world the angels good and bad the ministers of heaven and hell take each their side and share in the vast scene of toiling and contending mortals The good angels exert their holy influence in the cause of god and of his servants the evil angels put forth their malignant influence in the cause of satan and of the persecutors of god's kingdom on earth until finally we hear the rejoicings of the blessed spirits for the victory of god's patient ones and we see the final overthrow of the apostate angels and of the human victims who have followed their apostasy then comes the final separation of the good and evil the providence of god from the beginning to the end of its reign is displayed to the intelligence of the universe and the exceeding goodness and wisdom of that providence is vindicated by the voice of eternal justice Then follows the eternal joy of God's vision, and the everlasting agony of those who have lost the everlasting good, the eternal joy of those who to the end have loved God, the everlasting agony of those who to the end have revolted from the good for which they were created. Wonderful and awful is the history of humanity more wonderful and amazing is the history of god's providence in ruling the history of humanity but of all things the most astounding is the perversity of men against the goodness of god it is not however the object of this lecture to treat the whole subject of divine providence but rather to exhibit an outline of the relations between providence and creation whose final object is to bring man to his perfection in god we must therefore hasten on with our purpose god is just and faithful to his eternal plan it is part of that plan that the material and irrational creatures obtain their end in the service of man and as they are unspiritual and devoid of free will god governs them by the laws of necessity and provides them with all the means to accomplish the ends for which they were created it is the noblest part of the divine plan that man should obtain his end in god which gives a nobler end through him to the inferior creatures that serve him yet however divinely helped to that end that help must be accepted by his will and with the use of that priceless freedom that nothing can necessitate for god has made him a cause to himself and the cause within him must work with the supreme cause in determining his course he choosing the good that is offered him whilst the providence of god gives him the means to practice good and to avoid evil the great orbs of the universe seem to our eyes as though they were suspended upon nothing god upholds and moves them with the balance of a twofold movement by one of which they seek their centre whilst by the other they seek to fly from their centre and by this double movement so finely balanced by the eternal wisdom they run securely in their appointed courses there is a twofold movement in every order and department of god's providence one of which proceeds from the secondary causes which he has implanted in his creatures the other from the primal cause of all which is god's will overruling the action of the secondary causes to their final ends. Among these secondary causes are the movements given to the elements of nature, the powers of assimilation and growth given to the vegetable and the animal world, the powers of generation and the instincts of sense and movement given to the animal world these powers and movements given to the several parts of creation and suited to their kinds and offices may be considered as that first active providence which the almighty exercises in the very act of creation but above this original provision of secondary causes implanted in his works is that ever active virtue and influence of the divine wisdom and will upholding superintending disposing providing and governing all things to their final end but whilst the irrational creatures are governed by the laws of necessity the rational creatures are governed by the moral law of god who never interferes with the freedom of the human will but gives higher motives to that will in a diviner light and greater strength to that will in supernatural help that the will of man may exercise a nobler freedom woe then to the man who transfers the necessity which he sees in the irrational creatures to the human will he perverts the whole reason of his nature and falsifies the whole character of that divine government under which he is placed. He puts himself at a point of view so utterly false, that to be consistent he must deny the moral government of God, and reduce man to a mere machine, acting only as he is acted upon, and left without choice to determine his conduct it is true that god is the disposer of the minds of men because he is the author of their light giving them more or less of his light according to his will and their dispositions it is equally true that god disposes to the issues of human conduct for man proposes and god disposes what we are responsible for what we are finally rewarded for is our good will and intentions but the results of our actions are in the hands of god's providence to prosper and make them fruitful in this world or not as he sees best for the general designs of his providence for others are involved in the fruits of our works as well as ourselves and it is not always for our own final good that this or that well-intentioned work should prosper. It is also true that God changes our fortunes as he judges best for our present discipline and final good, or as more conformable to his justice, and that he ordains the circumstances, or what we call the accidents, with which we are surrounded, And which have such great influence on weaker souls although so little upon the stronger souls that seek their strength in god yet the will is ever free to work with or against the providential influences of god but to come to the great point What is the final object of that manifold providence which moves so many influences, both from earth and heaven, upon the soul of man? The great and final object of that providence is to awaken and advance the soul of man from things temporal to things eternal, from things changeable to things unchangeable this explains the shocks and defeats the disappointments and the sorrows that man is constantly encountering in this world they belong to that providence of discipline that awakens man from the delusions of this life and urges him to seek the better things what is the light of his mind but a luminous pathway to lead up the soul to eternal and unchangeable things. What is the deepest-seated appetite of his soul, but the sense of an infinite good after which he ought to aspire? What is the revelation of God, but the manifestation of that eternal truth for which the man is in search? What is it, but the making known that divine good for which he was created. Why, then, will he prefer the changing opinions of man to the unchangeable truth of God? Why will he love the light and vanishing goods that contract his being with their earthly pressure more than the divine and everlasting good that enlarges his being beyond measure, The whole intent and purpose of God's providence is to advance His creature man from less to greater good, and from lower to higher virtue, from things temporal to things eternal, from things changeable to things unchangeable, that He may reach the divine end of His creation and there find His perfection in God. What we stand in need of is a deliverance from our own limitations and from that self-seeking attraction that keeps us bound and cramped within those natural limitations. To seek the things above us, we need to be freed from the pressure of the sensual body upon the soul, from the excessive attraction of the external world upon our interests, and from the spiritual adversaries that war against our soul with error and temptation but this implies a combat and a rescue our nature from its origin is weak and contracted and after its fall from god has become selfish sensual and sinful contracting and enclosing us more and more within ourselves The contracting elements of nature and of sense first close in upon our soul and these must be broken out and brought down to their proper places before the soul can expand in the light of truth and rise with freedom to superior good a conflict therefore must ensue between light and darkness between the infinite truth And the sensualized man between good and evil. This contractedness of the self seeking man striving foolishly and vainly to make himself the centre of good must be overcome before he can seek his true centre with love in the supreme good. This self centering of the man is the work of that concupiscence of which we hear so much but of which many of us understand so little it is that threefold concupiscence of the flesh the eyes and the pride of life which destroys the whole just and reasonable order of things for the just and reasonable order of things requires that every free spirit or soul should seek the greatest good through the highest light in the mind and from the deepest appetite in the will. But the combat by which a man is delivered from himself, by which his soul is set free, expanded in the truth, and advanced to the greater good, must of necessity be a combat against himself, against his own contracted limits, against the self-seeking vices of concupiscence, AND AGAINST THE POWERS OF EVIL THAT INVADE HIM THROUGH HIS CONCUPISCENCE. THE MORAL PERFECTING OF MAN THAT DELIVERS HIM FROM HIMSELF, AND SO FROM EVIL, AND THAT PREPARES HIM FOR GOD, CANNOT BE ACCOMPLISHED WITHOUT THIS CONFLICT WITH THE SEDUCTIVE POWERS OF THE WORLD AND WITH THE SPIRITUAL ADVERSARIES OF THE SOUL it is the conflict with these adversaries and with his inferior nature with which they are allied that brings into action and forms into habits all the generous virtues of which he is capable and as the chief object of god's good providence is to bring man to his moral perfection that he may come enriched to his final end in the divine perfection it is a great part of that providence to provide for the formation of those vigorous virtues which perfect the spiritual man permitting the approach of evil and allowing many evils to conspire against him that by a greater conflict he may accumulate a greater wealth of virtue whilst a way is always given him to escape from his temptations and the means are proffered him by which to triumph over them such is the wisdom and the goodness of god such is the glory of god in the conquest of evil the crowning providence of god is the incarnation of his eternal word this stupendous plan for restoring and perfecting the creation whether we consider it in its elevation above all his other works or in the depths to which it descends or in the intimate union that it accomplishes between god and the creature or in its all-embracing efficacy of reconciliation and deliverance is the most sublime of all the mysteries in which god has manifested his wisdom his power and goodness IT IS A NEW CREATION OF THE MOST MARVELOUS KIND, AS WELL AS A NEW PROVIDENCE OF THE MOST WONDERFUL ORDER. IT IS THE LIVING KEYSTONE OF THE LIVING ARCH OF THAT SAVING PROVIDENCE WHICH OVERSPANS THE INTELLIGENT CREATION, AND OF WHICH THE RAINBOW THAT GOD PLACED IN THE HEAVENS WAS A SYMBOL, FOR THAT HE WOULD NO LONGER DESTROY MAN ordained from the beginning in contemplation of the weakness of human nature and in foresight of his fall from god the divine wisdom contemplated a greater creation of a greater man made everlastingly secure by inseparable union with the person of his eternal word in whom he might bring back the lost creation to himself in whom he might triumph in a more glorious conflict over the powers of evil in whom he might restore all things to the way of their final end the whole of god's government of this world is therefore regulated upon the divine economy of the incarnation the whole conflict of light against darkness of the infinite against the finite of good against evil centres in the person of the son of god made man in all ages onward from the fall men have sighed and sought for and even expected a divine deliverer from evil and a bringer of divine good this was by no means limited to the prophetic line and the prophetic people Although the promise of God shone through them to the nations, the word of God was already in the world, although the darkness did not comprehend it. Through him the world was made, and the footsteps of his presence were everywhere. There was nothing formed in anything of which the type was not in his eternal mind. But the soul of man is an image of him who is the divine reason. For what is the reason of man but a certain participation, however shadowy, however reflected, however remote, however diminished, of the light of the eternal word? What is the conscience of man that makes him a law to himself, but a certain light of justice imprinted on his soul by the eternal word? What is the deepest craving of every human soul but the deliverance from evil and the coming of good? It is impossible for a man not to wish this deliverance from evil, this ascent to the greatest good, however he may mistake that good. Hence men have always sought this deliverance, even when they knew not who should deliver them. The Word of God was nigh to them, even at their doors, yet so secretly that they knew it not, when they condemned their own evils, felt their own miseries, and cried to God for deliverance. The Word of God is the wisdom of God, and under this name his presence and his action in the world is thus described in the Book of Wisdom. Wisdom is more active than all active things, and reacheth everywhere by reason of her purity. For she is the brightness of eternal light, and the unspotted mirror of his majesty, and the image of his goodness. And being but one, she can do all things, and remaining in herself the same, she reneweth all things and through nations conveyeth herself into holy souls, and maketh friends of God and prophets. She reacheth therefore from end to end mightily, and disposeth all things sweetly, for it is she that teacheth the knowledge of God, and is a chooser of his works. Not only secretly, but manifestly, The word of God rehearsed his own incarnation in open visions, taking a human form, and in spoken words and in inspirations as of man to man, conveying the light of his presence and his gracious help through nations into holy souls. The Gentile Job proclaimed to the Gentiles that he knew that his Redeemer liveth. The Gentile Balaam prophesied his coming despite of his own will. Plato, whom a father has called the Greek edition of Moses, declared that until a divine one came to teach us, we knew not what to ask of God. The Sibyls prophesied of Christ, and Virgil versified their prophecies where was the nation before the incarnation that felt not the deep conviction that they needed a deliverer who should be both human and divine their greatest errors were but the corruption of this truth they sought him in some wise king whom they deified or in some sage in whom they fancied that divinity inhabited or in the founders of their religious systems whom they considered to have been divinely inspired or they sought this deliverer in their secret initiations or in their very gods whom they first imagined then humanized and then looked to as deliverers from evil the instinct of the incarnation was everywhere and everywhere they looked to heaven and to earth for some god in the form of man or for some man into whom a god had descended to deliver them from evil and to bring them light and good for in their blindness they knew not that the very word of god who gave them their reason and their conscience was to become incarnate for their deliverance yet the nations desired their deliverer even when they knew not whom they desired they had a sense of the true god as above all their gods to whom as tertullian observes they cried in the hour of distress forgetting their own gods and in view of this universal desire for a divine deliverer many fathers have not hesitated to say that even among the gentiles the sincere worshippers of god were saved through implicit belief in the incarnation hence the remarkable words of aegeus the prophet that the desired of all nations shall come he said not that he was the desirable but the desired of all nations observes richard of st victor from which we may understand that in every nation there were some inflamed with this desire, and that his coming was foreknown and expected by many Gentiles. St. Paul therefore calls Christ the Saviour of all men, but especially of the faithful. That eternal Word that was everywhere operating in the world entered at the appointed time into a body undefiled. That word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Estranged from God, we could not come to the light, but the light came to us. We could not ascend to God, but God descended to us. Immersed in carnal things and absorbed in the love of this world, we had neither an eye nor a taste for spiritual things. And he came in a body and soul like ours that by tempering his presence to our carnalized condition he might accustom us by degrees to his divine light and drawing us to his spirit by degrees might heal us in the end because of our infirmity says st leo he diminished himself because we were incapable of beholding him he covered the splendour of his majesty with the veil of his body that the eyes of men might look upon him we had lost our sympathy with god in our fears of his justice but the son of god drew our love to him with all the tenderness of his human sympathy fulfilling the words of the prophet Osi i will draw them with the cords of adam with the bands of love we have received nothing with our nature from the first father of our race but sin and calamity but the son of god is made man and becomes a better father of our humanity as the head and inexhaustible fountain not of our carnal but of our spiritual generation we recover from him the justice of god and the peace we had lost in our calamitous condition we had sunk down from the divine light into our folly had lost the justice of god had forfeited our salvation and had no help in ourselves to recover our final end but god would not have the whole creation to fail through the failure of the intelligent part of that creation he would not give to evil the triumph of success over good he would not allow his favorite creature whom he had made in his image to perish utterly he would not have his great design of giving himself for the final happiness of man to be defeated he therefore gave the person of his own eternal son to a man created by the holy spirit pure and undefiled from an immaculate virgin and so descended from the stock of adam and united our human nature by an indissoluble bond with his eternal word in christ jesus the whole fullness of the godhead dwelt bodily and he is made of god unto us wisdom and justice and sanctification and redemption a new fountain of light and life is open to us and that fountain placed in human nature is divine it is divine that it may be all-powerful it is placed in human nature that we may have free access to this divine fountain of life contracted within the circle of human nature since our fall and reluctant through our moral infirmity to pass beyond the boundaries of our nature the health that we had lost the life that we had stood in need of was brought down into our human nature and placed on our level that we might first find god anew in our own nature and then ascend through his humanity to his divinity. Our disease was pride, and for our cure, God comes to us in humility. Our disease was sensuality, and we see God suffering in a body like our own, and giving us the law of self-denial for our cure in his own example our disease was the wisdom of the flesh conquering the mind with its turbulent assumptions and we see the eternal wisdom crucifying his flesh with his spirit and proclaiming the wisdom of the flesh to be folly our disease was the ambition of this world and we see to our confusion in the divine example that power is perfected for our human nature in infirmity our disease was to love the wealth of this world as our final good and we see the inexhaustible wealth of god dwelling in poverty a new and a supernatural providence has come to us in the person of our lord jesus christ a providence that is perfect in wisdom visible in example and audible in precept with overabounding goodness and unspeakable mercy the divine physician has brought us every medicine of which our sick nature stood in need has shown us the way from disease to health and from death to life and has provided the remedies for every disorder of our mind and heart and is himself the fountain of our light and life we are so made that we would not change our identity of nature with an angel or with any being however noble for that would be to destroy our own what we really wish is to have our own nature rectified purified enlightened enlarged exalted to greater good and beatified We also, says St. Paul, who are in this tabernacle, do groan, being burdened, because we would not be unclothed, but clothed upon, that that which is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This terrible dread of death, although the way to life, this fear of the breaking up of the mold and the form of the old Adam, before we can receive... immortal form is the last of the fears inspired by the anticipation of breaking away from our present contractions and limitations and yet they must be broken like the shell to let free the winged bird before we can reach the atmosphere of perfect freedom for the children of adam must break through many limitations before they reach this perfect freedom what is contrition but the breaking up of sin to receive the form of justice what is penance but the breaking down of old habits to receive the new what is obedience but the breaking down of pride to receive the will of god what is self-denial but the breaking up of concupiscence to receive the modest habit of sobriety what is conversion but the breaking down of self-love to receive the love of God? What is contemplation but the breaking forth from the natural limits of our mind to enter into the superior light and truth of God? But Christ has given us both the example and the power of dying to ourselves that we may live to God until death can no more alarm us because we are disposed to eternal life by the life of christ within us we will now sum up this lecture in a very brief form and chiefly in the words of saint bernard the true progress of man from his feeble beginning to his final end is marked out by divine providence and the path of that progress Is strewn with greater and still greater benefits as we walk faithfully along its course but the whole of this progress is marked by a succession of liberations liberations from ignorance liberations from earthliness and liberations from many kinds of limitation this progress has its concentrated expression in the moral and supernatural advancement of the will before we reach our final end we require a threefold freedom freedom from necessity freedom from sin and freedom from suffering freedom from necessity is given to our will in our creation the grace of christ restores to us freedom from sin but freedom from suffering is reserved until we reach our final end in god the first of these liberties is of nature the second is of grace the third is of glory for man is created with a free will that he may become a noble creature in god he is reformed from injustice to innocence that he may become a new creature in christ he is raised to glory after the new creature has been perfected in the spirit of god the first of these liberties hath much honour but the second hath much virtue and the third hath the accumulation of joy if it be said as certain heresies have dared to say that the grace of christ compels our will and saves against our will by destroying our liberty how can this be since christ who is the author of grace has said if the son shall set you free then shall you be truly free the predestination of god to salvation is the preparation of those graces which make our salvation sure God knows whom he will save. What then does free will do? I answer briefly, says Bernard, it is saved. Take away free will, and there is nothing to be saved. Take away grace, and there is nothing by which we can be saved. The work of salvation cannot be accomplished without two things, that by which it is done, and that to which... Or in which it is done god is the author of salvation free will is capable of salvation that therefore which can only be given by god and only accepted by free will can neither be without the consent of the receiver nor without the grace of the giver thus free will is said to cooperate with the grace that gives salvation When it consents that is when it is saved for to consent is to be saved with infants a different dispensation provides for a different condition their sin is without their will because they have not reached the age of reason and their will is not yet free they have not consented to the alienation of their will from god They are therefore saved by the regeneration of christ without their will because as yet they have no free or responsible will but where the will is free it must freely cooperate with the grace of christ why has he given us a law of salvation if we are not free to obey his law why has he commanded the virtues and given us grace for them if we are not free to exercise the christian virtues why does he command us to believe and impose fearful penalties on unbelief if we are not free to believe why does he command us to love god with all our heart and strength if we have no heart no strength of will with which to love god he strengthens our heart and will that we may love him We have an appetite in common with the animal creation, and St. Paul calls it the wisdom of the flesh, of which he says that it is not subject to the will of God, nor can it be. Having this appetite in common with the animals, what distinguishes us from them but our free will? It is a habit of the soul free to dispose of herself. It is not compelled. It is not extorted. It is will, not necessity, or man would cease to be man. What is compelled is not will. It is violence. But where there is consent, there is will, and where there is will, there is liberty. The liberty of our nature exalts us above the animal creation. The liberty of grace exalts us above the world and the flesh. The liberty of glory puts death beneath our feet. For by the victory over sin and the triumph over death, which is the last enemy to be destroyed, we are transferred to the liberty of the glory of the sons of God, with that freedom with which Christ has made us free. End of Lecture 4, Part 3